Now, if today uh, were Friday, it would be Friday the 13th, and I'd lead this show by watching it. This is what I do. I go, boom, but it's not. It's Thursday, January 13th. I'm Guy Adami. Dan Nathan is making faces at me, but yep. that is Dan Nathan, and this is Market Call every Thursday, Dan. It is Thursday. We demystify the latest Wall Street research. Joining us in a few minutes, EY from SoFi. See what I did there? Today's market call is brought to you by our three presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. The aforementioned SoFi, get your money right, Dan, all in one app. And of course, Open Exchange, because as we've come to learn, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great, Guy Dami. It seems like, you know, you're a little confused what day of the week it is, but it's been a pretty busy week in the markets, hasn't it? It feels like it's been maybe two weeks the way we started off on Monday, a whole heck of a lot of market volatility, specifically in the stock market. And we're going to talk a little bit about the massive underperformance of tech stocks, but they've come a whole heck of a lot of ways back towards those levels that they were at the start of the year here, Guy Adami. So to me, I don't know, we're just kind of taking stock a little bit of the volatility. I think the, the fact that market participants got a little comfortable with a more hawkish Fed as Fed Chair Powell is in front of his Senate confirmation or reconfirmation hearing, I think that's probably encouraging to some investors. I like what you did there. Actually, that's a great name for a new show, Taking Stock. There with Dan, Nathan, and God. Just, just, I'm going to put that in my memory bank, not Elizabeth Banks, who, by the way, is a genius. Anyway, I, I, sorry about that, Dan. The market is getting comfortable with this Federal Reserve, clearly. Good for them for continuing to sort of assuage some of the concerns about the market. The question is, and you mentioned it, beneath the surface, and we've talked about this, there's a lot of damage being done to some of these high valuation names still. Now, the S&P is hanging in there, and we have a great S&P 500 chart here showing that, once again, we traded down to the level of support and have bounced off it. My question is, for how much longer? I mean, how much longer can this hold with a Federal Reserve that is completely done in about-face into an earnings season that, quite frankly, we don't know what to expect? Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, listen, you know, we got a little preview in early November when we had some kind of high valuation SaaS stocks, in particular Adobe and Salesforce.com, you know, just kind of report some slightly decelerating metrics. And those stocks got absolutely nailed. And I think that's could be a big story as we get into tech earnings. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But this S&P 500 chart, I mean, you could have draw the trend line for 18 months and it looks like this bottom left, upper right. And, you know, every for the last year or so, five six percent drop from a high has been bought and to your point guy you know you have that trend let's see if we can get to new highs it feels like it really get extended if it gets back above 4800 in the near term before earnings here but that 200-day moving average you see down there looks pretty lonely it has not been sniffed but let me tell you one where the 200-day moving average is not lonely and that's in the russell 2000 in small caps and this is this this one year chart and we've been talking about this a lot i mean that is like, it's not even, that's not even good to trade. You know what I mean? Like literally, do you agree with that? Like you're literally like banging your head up against the wall here. What's your take on the Russell? When you talk about how many times you test support and ultimately it becomes a little weaker each time, this one feels like it's hanging on by, by, I don't by a know thread. No, by a thread. And we're going to have a, the aforementioned Elizabeth Young on to talk about this because I know, you know, she's passionate about the small caps, rightly so, by the way. But to your point, outside that fail, breakout 
couple months ago. This has been now sideways going on a year. And the fact for you armchair technicians out there, the 200 day moving average is now on the verge of sloping to the downside for the first time. in I don't know how long has to make you wonder again from the technicals. How long can this last and how long is this a matter of time before that 2100 level on the downside gets breached? By the way, Dan, I know you know this Jim breach from the Cincinnati Bengals should be in the Hall of Fame, but please continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's a, we talked about small cap stocks and we really talked about correlation to rates. And, you know, when rates were going up in Q1 of 2021, a year ago, we saw, you know, the Russell 2000 continue to outperform. You know, basically at the time, I think the assumption was that rates were going higher because we had an economy that was about to inflect. We were kind of come out of the other side of this pandemic. You know, when you look at this chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield and you see the move that we've just had, from below 1.4% to just above 1.8%, which was a new 52-week high, you might have thought that the Russell 2000 small caps were going to do the same, but they didn't. They're lower. They're below that 200-day moving average. My question to you, Guy, right here is, I know we've talked about the two-year, and that's going to closely or more closely track what the Fed is going to do with Fed funds in the near term, and the CME Fed tracker is pricing in a little more than a 70% chance of a 25 basis point hike at their March meeting. Why do we see the two-year versus the 10? Why do we see we saw that steepening, and now we're seeing it flattening a little bit? Yeah, narrowing again. It's a great question. I think it suggests exactly what I think the Russell is suggesting, that maybe the robust growth that should be associated with rates going higher is really not there. You know, we talk about it all the time, the Russell being the most economically sensitive names out there should theoretically be doing better in a rising rate environment. They're not. And I think what you're seeing is, again, the front end of the curve, which has gone the two year from 20 basis points to approaching 1% is saying that, you know what, Fed's behind the curve, rates have to go up in the front end, but the back end, which should be signifying robust growth in the form of yields continuing to push towards 2%, that's not happening. And Danny Moses talks about this. That is a what they call a stagflationary environment, yeah. which there are no arrows in the quiver of the Fed to combat. Well, listen, guy, this is purely anecdotal. I live in New York City and I got to tell you, I, I think what's gone on with Omicron, what you know, there's no doubt in my mind that economic growth in Q1 is going to get clipped the same way that Delta clipped Q3. You know, we probably had Omicron clip Q4, definitely in December. So we have three consecutive quarters where I think growth is going to disappoint a little bit. And I'm not sure you get that sort of growth back. We're not seeing a pickup from quarter to quarter. But one thing we have seen picked up is inflation expectations. Despite all that, it's one of the reasons why the Fed is really digging in here. But this is probably, to me, guy, the most important chart in the market right here. Look at what just happened in the US dollar index, the Dixie here. It was consolidating. You and I were talking on a market call earlier in this week. That consolidation looked pretty nice. If you thought rates were going to go higher, the Fed was going to be more hawkish, you might think the dollar was going to break out to the upside. What the heck just happened here? It just broke out of that consolidation and it is below that uptrend that has been in place since June right now. What around October 31st, what do we typically see a lot of costumes of people, typically young women, but every once in a while you see what what is that costume of, Dan? A what? Big pointy hat. Thank you. And what you're looking at here, Dan, I know you're bringing me down that path is a witch's brew. And, you know, a dollar going lower here, theoretically, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You say to yourself, you ask me the question, why is that happening? And a lot of this is a relative strength thing, because although we're clearly on the tightening path, guess what? The euro, which is 60 percent, I believe, of the DXY, they're on a similar 
path, if not a more aggressive path. So, you know, if you look and we don't have it, not that we need it, but if you were to sort of look at a Euro chart, I mean, it's basically this in the opposite. You're seeing a bounce now off the lows, the same way we're seeing a rejection of the DXY off the highs. We have broken this trend line that does not augur particularly well. And if we get down to that 200-day moving average, which I think comes in around 92 and three quarters or so in an interest rate environment that are going higher, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's all bets are off in terms of what that means for the broader markets. Yeah, I'll just say this, you know, from my experience trading the markets over the last 25 years, I am certainly no economist whatsoever. But when you start seeing some kind of haywire action and big macro assets like this, you really got to pay attention, especially if you're just a dumb stock and options guy like me. So, you know, I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on this Dixie. And if it gets back to those levels that you're talking about down there, the 200-day moving average, I suspect that the stock market is going to be a whole heck of a lot more volatile. All right, here's one last risk asset that has been very very volatile and I think yeah. it's tied to rates and it's tied to the dollar and it's tied to inflation. We're going to talk about with Liz in a second. Guy, 86. That was the prior high here. We've come a long way from the low 60s in about a month and a half or so. Can we get back to those prior highs and break out? In, in October, you know, the aforementioned Halloween, you actually said on Fast Money, you said on Market Call, you said and a lot of the things we do together, that you know what, you had a feeling that oil was sort of going to give it up and that happened in spades. I think one of the main reasons has happened because the Friday after Thanksgiving, we obviously heard the first news of this new variant and crude oil just took a bath. Maybe too many people were uh, on one side of that boat. Well, very quietly, and this chart illustrates it, we've got it all back in terms of the upside. Now it's incumbent upon the bulls to prove themselves because we're right up against this level of resistance. I think you know what I feel. I think we're going to go blowing through it to the upside. I think crude's going to have a triple digit handle in the relative near future, and that suggests, you know, obviously $100 crude. And we'll see what happens, not only to the energy stocks, but obviously to the broader market as well. What does it mean? And, you know, crude higher, whether or not it's a gauge of inflation, I don't know. But what I'll tell you is everybody looks at higher crude oil and they immediately think of inflation, whether that's justified or not. So crude is absolutely a barometer whether justified in this today's world or not, Dan, Nathan. No doubt about it. And that leads us to our guest, Liz Young. She is the head market strategist at SoFi. And Liz loves talking about inflation. What's up, Liz? Hey, guys. I am ready to talk about inflation this week. All right. But before we get to some of the stuff that you've written about inflation on SoFi's blog and your weekly note, we got to go to where everybody goes first to find out anything. And that's Twitter. And I saw this tweet by Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter yesterday. And I don't know why he's talking about inflation. I know why. He's a big Bitcoin maximalist. And I think he thinks high inflation is good for his Bitcoin. But this tweet was kind of funny after that CPI came out. I think it was the highest reading since 1982 or something like that in 40 years. He said, damn, Santa didn't take that transitory inflation away. What's your take of that tweet, Liz? I think he's right. Santa didn't take it away. (laughs) And the way that I want to frame this is that I think it's fascinating. People can look at this data however they want to and come away with, all right, I feel good about it or I feel bad about it. Because there are pieces of the data that you can spin as optimistic. There's pieces of it that you can spin as pessimistic. I also think it's fascinating that there's still people saying this is all transitory. If your definition of transitory is not 
forever, then sure, it's transitory, but everything is transitory then. And every time we've had inflation that's high in the past, it's been transitory too, because it doesn't last forever. But we're on eight months now straight of CPI above 5%. In my book, that is far from transitory. So we're in a period now where we have to do something about it, and it's going to start to really hurt consumers. We'll get into that a little bit later. I broke it down a little bit more in detail about what I think is hurting consumers. But I think he's right. Didn't take it away. It was never transitory to begin with. And we're still going to deal with it for the first half of 2022. You're talking my language. I mean, absolutely. You're speaking my language. And I'll read that book every day. Now, you know, I love your work. And I think you must sit up at night with your footy pajamas on. And what title can I give that's just going to really twerk people like Guy Adami? Well, you came oh, close yeah. with this one. What came first, the market or the Fed? Well, I know the answer to that. I mean, clearly markets were before the Fed. But you bring this up because I think it speaks to exactly the point that you're trying to make. What is more important here? And I love this title. I mean, it makes, again, I get a little wincy with I see these things, but there's something whimsical about it. Talk to me. Yeah, I do it all for you, Guy. I really do. And I, I keep a list, actually, of things that I think of throughout the week and I figure out a time to use it in the future. So you're screwed until about April at this point. <laughs> Okay, so what came first, the market or the Fed? That was kind of the punchline that I wanted to get to by the end of this piece. But a lot of the points here are, like I mentioned already, you can spin this in a good way or a bad way. I'm going to spin this in a way that I think is a challenge and that I think is going to challenge markets for 2022. It's obviously challenging the Fed. I think that this is one of the most difficult things Jerome Powell will ever have to navigate. And it sort of feels like the Fed can't do anything right. They can't necessarily tighten fast enough because now everybody's talking about them having gone too slow, waiting too long. If they start to do it and the market corrects, we're going to say that they did too much. They did it too fast. So I think that they're stuck between a rock and a hard place, which is not a great place for us to be in markets. But the first question is really, will it cool off enough on its own by the time we need it to, right? So I want to be clear. I don't think inflation is going to stay at 7%. I think that there are definitely forces that are going to cool over time, but I don't think it's going to go back down to 2%. I certainly don't think it's going to go back down to 1.8% before the end of this year. And there are parts of inflation, and that's what some of these charts are showing, that you get this whack-a-mole. And one of the sections on my piece was called Duck, Duck, Goose, because if you remember six months ago, we were talking about used cars being really the only problem spot. Now there's problem spots everywhere. And what I did in this chart is try to break down all right, what are the things that we as consumers absolutely have to buy? These are non-negotiables, right? We need them to live our daily lives. And then what are the things that are nice to have? They're optional items. It would be okay. And if you look at the inflation and the need to have items, so food at home, like groceries, fuel, electricity and gas, and shelter, the average inflation that you're seeing in those components, it's double, almost double what you're seeing in the nice to have components. The nice to have stuff, food out in restaurants, household goods, clothing, automobiles, right? Not everybody needs a new car. So comparing it that way is really interesting to do. And you got to think about one of the things that I promise myself in this industry and in this job is that I'll never get out of touch with other people that have maybe lower paying jobs. These need to have items are going to pinch the lower end more because they can't choose whether or not they want to eat today, right? Nobody's going to die because they don't have Q-tips. Nobody's going to die because they don't have a brand new vehicle. But you have an issue if you can't pay for regular items like food and energy. 
Before Dan gets in here, by the way, Q-tips, one of those ubiquitous products like <laughs> Band-Aids, Q-tips are actually cotton swabs and Band-Aids actually adhesive strips. But again, that's neither here nor there, Dan, please. Yeah, you know, are also I, facial tissue. That is a fact. <laughs> you know, Liz, I don't know if you heard my comment and I said it was purely anecdotal, though, about, you know, just kind of the slowdown, at least in, in New York City that I've seen um, in restaurants. I know you live here. It's Things are quiet. They're just really quiet. And it's mm-hmm. a really a tough way to start off a quarter, especially when you think about how we ended Q4 and you, you think about how Q3 was affected by the Delta variant. What is your take, though, of the potential for, let's just say, whatever you want to argue about transitory or not and how level high, high the CPLI levels stick around, what if we do have slowing growth and we do have moderately higher prices that do moderate? let's say from this seven seven percent print does stagflation worry you a little bit yeah it worries me because of the point that was made earlier i think it was guy that made it maybe danny moses is the one who made it that the fed doesn't have tools for that right we don't really have any way to combat that we don't have a way to both stimulate and control at the same time so that's the biggest concern i actually i disagree with the point that you made earlier that omicron is going to affect growth as much as delta did i don't think it is i think that This variant and the spread of it and the severity of it didn't affect demand nearly as much as Delta did. And in an economy that's driven 70% by consumers, I don't think it's going to affect GDP that much. I'm with you on that. Oh, sorry, real quick. I I just want, before you next point, I'm with you on that because if you think about it quickly, this variant would have given this Federal Reserve all the air cover they possibly could have needed to continue on their prior course of just, you know, steady at, you know, hand on the till. We still, and they didn't go that route because they clearly saw something that you're talking about now. This was going to be out there and maybe we would derail us for a month or so, but it was not going to stop what they see coming. Anyway, please continue. Right. Well, and it also didn't affect the high frequency jobs data, right? So it didn't affect the labor market, doesn't seem to have affected demand too much. So there was really no reason to pivot and change course. When you look at what could happen through the rest of the year, though, there's a chance that this all works out okay, but the timing matters. So inflation would have to start cooling off when we start to run out of stamina and when companies start to run out of stamina to absorb it. And I don't know exactly what that time is. My gut tells me that that time is sometime March, April, May, and that has to happen by then, right? Because wage growth isn't necessarily keeping up with price growth. And the concern would be if we get to summer, the Fed has either hiked rates or is going to hike rates for the first time. If growth isn't showing as much strength as we need it to, and if corporate earnings aren't showing as much strength as we need them to, then we're we're in a world of hurt in the market. So this is a really, really tough line to dance. No question about it. And you know, it's I, I know I sort of envy you, by the way, completely off topic, but this is a weekend where as a Packer of Green Bay fan, you have nothing to worry about because your team is not playing. You are in a bye week. You can sit back with popcorn and watch what goes on. The same way we're going to sit around with popcorn and watch these banks' earnings, which brings us to our first call. I love this. Out with the new, in with the old, which is perfect for someone of my age being old. And this is Piper Sandler. They upgraded Wells Fargo to overweight from neutral. Well, first of all, where have you been for the last year? Because Wells Fargo has been one of the better performing banks. But okay, I get it. $64 price target, compelling valuation. I don't know if I agree with that. And on the flip side, Dan, Jeffries is downgrading PayPal which has been under pressure now for the last six months since they reported earnings and then subsequently 
came out with that potential news about Pinterest stock has not traded well, lower their price target to 200. Both these calls to me, just my opinion, a little bit late to the game. But what do I know, Dan Nathan? Yeah, no, I think it's a pretty interesting setup, though, when you think about these two names, because look at, you know, you talked about that outperformance in Wells Fargo. I mean, the stock has gone up in a straight line over the last just couple of weeks or so. I mean, it's like investors in 2022 figured out this is for some reason going to be the bank to own. I don't really get that. But then you look at what's going on in PayPal and you look at that 35% drop over the last few months or so from an all time high here. That's a company that's had a couple disappointing quarters in a row. But let's just look at these two things. Look at that breakout. I mean, it's been consolidating here. It showed that relative outperformance early in 2021 here and bounced off that 200 day moving average. And it's just going up, up, up. I suspect you see a pullback after these results come in in the next week or so from the entire banking sector. And you probably see a retracement back to that breakout level. There's no reason to kind of take this one up over some of the others. We know that JP Morgan, I know we talked about that last week on the market call has also been consolidating between that kind of 145 and 170 range. So to me, if it's on valuation, fine or whatever. PayPal on the flip side, though, to me, look at that gap. We talked about a couple gaps over the last couple of quarters below, you know, the levels where it found support over the course of the last year. So, I mean, listen, this one is just tough on valuation. And I love the way we position it. We use that fact set data. These two companies have about the same market cap going in very different directions here, guy. Anything as you think about bank earnings that these two calls are telling you, at least about sentiment, at least Wall Street sentiment? Well, I think, listen, in terms of the Piper call with Wells Fargo, first of all, I think Barclays upgraded Wells a couple of weeks ago. I think Morgan Stanley, there have been a series of bank upgrades over the last couple of months, number one. What does it tell me? It tells me they're terrified that, you know, with a neutral rating, and if this continues to catch a bid, they're going to be behind the curve. Sometimes analysts get squeezed as well. That's for another show. I'll say this in terms of valuation. Tangible book in Wells Fargo is probably coming around $37. So at current levels, you're looking at a stock that's trading about 1.62 times to tangible book. You know, that's sort of at the deeper end of the pool for a name like Wells, because on the flip side of that coin, City trades at a discount to tangible book. And you have to wonder if that dichotomy should hold. So that's my sense in Wells Fargo. And in Piper, in terms of the call in PayPal, I just think they're late to the dance. And I actually more inclined to buy PayPal here than sell it. I'm interested to hear what EY thinks. I don't want to get granular here, but EY, what do you think about the banks as we head into earnings? Yeah, I mean, just these two calls, which I'll echo some of what you've already said, they seem kind of like momentum calls to me, right? Downgrade something that's falling, upgrade something that's rising. But if you just look at, step back from it, look at financials overall, I've been bullish on financials for a while. I remain bullish on financials. And then you might ask me, well, does that make sense? Because earnings momentum isn't really behind them at this point, right? We're Liz, does at- that make sense? Because the earnings momentum could potentially be behind them right now. <laughs> thanks, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> so you look at financials earnings in 2021, super strong. Expectations for the fourth quarter and 2022, not quite as strong when you're looking at comparisons to other sectors. But look at what happened, right? So compare Q1 of 2021 to what we're seeing in Q2, or I'm sorry, in Q1 of 2022, right? So the spread between twos and tens in Q1 of 2021 went from about 80 basis points to 160 basis points. Huge steepening of the curve, obviously really bullish for financials. Then compare that to now, we've got a curve that hasn't moved that much. That's a tough comp. 
So you're going to see tough comps that are going to pressure the earnings in financials, Mm -hmm. but the environment for financials is still positive. And I think that old financials can catch a really nice bid in 2022. Fun fact, I was actually a bank teller for three years in college. Stop. Yes. Very near and dear to my heart, the old financials. But but it's interesting what you said about the calls, those being momentum calls. And I look at this BKX, right? And you look at that very, very nice, well-defined uptrend. It just kind of picked its head up above the high end of that. And that very much looks like momentum driven to me. And we were talking about the Russell 2000 as not being a great trading vehicle when you look at how narrow that sideways action has been for the last year. This one's the other way. I mean, like if this fails and doesn't actually kind of like establish a new range above that uptrend, which I don't think it's going to be, then you got some room down there. And if you have guys like Guy Adami telling you they didn't think some of these banks are that cheap, I think you want to start looking the other way on this. All right, let's talk about another. Before we go to another call, Dan, and I know Dan really hates, but by the end of the week, I get a little punchy, (laughs) but I'm just curious, EY, on your bank teller, you probably had a name tag and this will tell the tale. What was on that name tag? Liz. It was Liz. Really? Because they didn't, I guess yeah. they didn't, couldn't spend the money on the letters. Okay. Anyway, well, please then, continue. The name tags are short, you know? Yeah. 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 No, so, noted. I understand. I can, I can count a pile of cash lightning fast, which is a skill that will never come in handy again, <laughs> but, but I can. Um, <laughs> Dan, did you want to do, do you want to go to another topic? You want to keep going on banks? No, I mean, I think, we think we have a lot of the uh, content here on the bank teller stuff. No, but that's, that's excellent. <laughs> All right. Let's move to this call from Moffitt Nathanson. Moffitt Nathanson, guy, I don't know if you know this, they're going to be part of Silicon Valley Bank. A deal was just announced there. We've had those guys, Moffitt and Nathanson on Fast Money for years. These guys are, if you're just watching this and you're not kind of dialed into the Wall Street machine, these guys are not, you know, they're kind of under the radar and they do really good work. And I know you agree with that guy. And so they had a call on Netflix here. They're cutting their price target down to 460. You see where the stock is right now. They maintain their neutral rating here, but they're asking this question and it seems rhetorical. What if the strongest content slate in Netflix history doesn't translate into massive beat on subscriber growth? And one of the things that I think is really interesting, guy, pre-pandemic, pandemic. Do you remember that this stock was going sideways and it was actually trending lower versus many of its kind of tech and media peers in a way because subscriber growth was slowing. Look at this one year chart right here. It finally woke up, okay, over the summer and had that massive breakout, but it's almost given it all back. It's below that 200 day moving average. You see where that support is. They put a 460 target on it. I mean, they are really bearish on this thing. 460 being the level, you know, we traded sideways for so long that gets us back to the level that we held. I mean, I'm first of all, I love the call because they're doing it ahead of earnings tomorrow morning. So they're giving the street an opportunity to, to trade the stock much better to do it now than to do it two days from now when the story's out. So good for them, whether they're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. I appreciate the call. I've said it a number of times. I think Reed Hastings is one of the most underrated CEOs on the planet outside of one or maybe two missteps in the lifespan of Netflix. He's done everything right. You know, I think that move to the upside, listen, it probably was too robust and maybe this back and fill makes sense. But I will tell you, if we get to that 460 level, you buy the stock with both hands. And before we get to whatever you want to say next, I'll say this. Robert Shaw, great actor, stole every movie he was in. But if you recall the scene in Jaws, when Mr. Hooper opened up his shirt and Robert Shaw said, what is that, a sweater? And he goes, no, he had a broken heart. And it was Mary Ellen Moffat, Dan Nathan, if That's you recall. Right. 
that That's broke right. Hooper's heart. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm hey, done just now, to, just to just to kind of clarify, their earnings, their Q4 earnings are next Thursday. I so thought they I, were tomorrow. No, Netflix. I'm looking. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize. Okay, but I just want to be really clear on that one. So, you know, in, in some ways, let's see how low the stock goes. We're seeing a big reversal right now as we're speaking in some of these high valuation SaaS stocks. There's some internet sort of names that are getting hit really hard. Snap is down six percent on a downgrade from Cowan. Let's see. This stock barely bounced. And let's talk about the NASDAQ 100, Liz, because I'd love to get your take. We talked a little bit about some high valuation stocks last week that had already been down for months and months and months, it seems like. And Monday, it was really a gut punch. The NASDAQ was down more than 3%. We had that huge intraday reversal. We've had a three-day rally into today. And now they're giving them back in a big way. Like I just mentioned, some of those high valuation software names getting hit. Here's a chart of the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, the ETF that tracks it. Carter Braxton Worth, who does market call with us on Mondays, posted this chart earlier in the week. He uses a 150-day moving average. And he highlighted the fact that Monday's break of the 150-day was the first in like 18 months since the throes of the pandemic in early 2020. What's your take on the NASDAQ, we know the concentration, seven stocks make up 50% of the weight. The NASDAQ 100 has not confirmed any of the new highs in the S&P 500 since Thanksgiving. What's your take on tech into Q4 earnings? Uh, honestly, I think it's about time that we broke through some of these levels because talking about tightening, talking about rate hikes, talking about inflation being at these levels, some of those high valuation names needed to get hit. And I keep calling it a right sizing. And I think that that's the right term to use, a right sizing of valuations given the environment. If we just take a couple of the industry groups that we were talking about today, so we can even talk about fintech, we can talk about streamers, those would fall into the industries that had a really nice run in 2021, probably were looked at as overvalued. So in this correction phase or in this phase where they're going to fall off those tops, what do you want to look at going forward in certain names? So in those particular industries, just as examples, in the fintech space, now, honestly, I have a very biased opinion on this, and it's going to sound like I'm saying this with a biased opinion. But in the fintech space, they're going to get pressured because they're still looked at as tech companies. But if you can find a fintech that also has a lending business or that can benefit from rising rates and a steepening curve, yes, SoFi has that, full disclosure, that's the place that would be an option to buy, right? So you can still have that tech side of it. You can still have exposure to the net interest margin in a fintech that has a lending business. On the streaming side, still going to get hit. I think the space overall got hurt, but Netflix was like the OG of streamers, right? You look at all the competition that came in in 2021, that obviously has hurt some of the smaller players and there's going to be consolidation. There's going to be winners and losers. I think some of the ones that have pricing power, so I'm talking about the streamers that can increase their price without losing subscribers, that's also where you want to be. So you have to think about it in a lot more granular terms than we did last year. I think tech in certain spots, if you think about it in those granular terms, can do well this year, but some of it is going to be really, really tough. Don't fall in love with your stocks. In the immortal words of Tom Petty, EY, even the losers get lucky sometimes. And I think the NASDAQ in this case was lucky that it bounced off that 200-day moving average. But as Dan mentioned, you know, the damage might have been done already. And we'll see. Maybe this bounce will be short-lived. I think in this environment, valuations matter. And if you even, even if you come in in line in terms of earnings, I don't think that's going to be good enough. So over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to some of these high-flying NASDAQ stocks. And I know you love that Mary Ellen Moffitt line. I know you're a huge 
Jaws fan from your days growing up in Wisconsin, <laughs> which last I looked was nowhere near an ocean. I actually am a big Jaws fan. I watched it a lot as a kid. I had an aunt who always played it for us. Oh, she liked scary movies. <laughs> so, so I'm familiar. <laughs> as always, thank you for joining us. I know you say to yourself, why am I doing this? Dan, I like, but guy is out of his mind. But hey, you know, that's why it's, we have a good time. And listen, for more great content from Liz Young, check her out on Twitter. If you're not following her, you're doing Twitter wrong at Liz Young Strat. And sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com backslash daily to read Liz's articles every Thursday. EY, enjoy this weekend where once again you can sit with your feet up and watch the NFL action, knowing full well your team will be playing the ensuing week. Go ahead, Dan. And Guy, as just piggybacking on your petty quote there, I think Liz is thinking in her head a little Bruce Springsteen here. She's like, it's a town full of losers on market call, and I'm pulling out of here to win. She is like Audi 5000. See you, Liz. Thanks a lot. That was awesome. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Go Packers. that, oh, they don't play this week. So do the go Packer stuff next week. Okay. Just save it. Stow it, as they say. Now, look, we've come to know this man so well, Dan Nathan. And oh, this yeah. is, uh, we don't, you know, some people share Bono, Sting. They just know that that's all you have to say. Well, it's happened with this guy, Butters. And his one for the road is an earnings insight. Now, this is really interesting because he talks about earnings growth rate. To me, extraordinarily important. The four pillars of the market, earnings growth, revenue, and revenue growth. Well, you got it here in one graph, Dan Nathan. Yeah. So Butters gives us a little bit of a preview of his earnings insight blog that drops on Friday. So check that out. I look at it every week and I have the opportunity to kind of opine on it here on Thursdays on Market Call here. Guy, this one is kind of interesting. It's just talking a little bit about how earnings growth rates, basically, as we are through earnings season, we'll see estimates go up, right? Because generally, we've seen over the last 10 or so years, nice, basically beat rate in the S&P 500 here. And I think the main takeaway is that the index will likely report its fourth straight quarter of earnings growth above 25%. The last time this happened was in Q4 of 2009 to Q3 2010. I think what's most important about that is we were just coming off of a very I don't know what you want to call it, volatile period in both the economy and the market in the lead up to 2009. I think you could say the same thing about 2020 and 2021 with the pandemic here. What's your quick take on this guy as we kind of get into the meat of earnings season here? You know, I just, just say that, listen, if it doesn't happen, if we don't see that sort of beat rate and we don't see estimates going up, I think you might see a little bit of a re-rating of that multiple in the S&P 500. In that well, I mean, this is this is it in a nutshell. I mean, this is what you're looking for, because now, you know, I think both sides have gone into their respective corners, bulls and bears, and they're waiting for exactly this. You know, everything to me, all the conversations are great, but everything comes down to earnings, earnings growth, revenue and revenue growth. And this is where the market's going to prove itself or give it up. So to your point, so much of this is already factored in. If it even comes in, you know, within only a couple percent of what Mr. Butters just put out there, you have to wonder, have we seen the best for the market? And that's why I think this earnings season, more so than the last you know, couple of years, 
It's going to be so important, in my opinion, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we always talk about this. You know, the banks get started. They're getting started this week. We just spent a lot of time on it. We saw that BKX. We saw it's up nearly 20%, which feels like in a straight line. I suspect it sets the tone for earnings season that despite pretty decent results here, that maybe we see like a pullback, a retracement of maybe 50% of that move off of the lows. And that could set the stage for higher growth areas as we get into tech that maybe just good is not good enough as we think about valuations in a rising rate environment. We got a 5,000, as the kids say. But before we do, if you've enjoyed what you heard, you want to learn more, check out the content at FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access more of this content. Dan, Nathan, I think you should. I know I do. Today's episode of a Market Call was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, and there are three. Fact set, Dan. I mean, come on. I mean, it's the charts we throw out there in fact set. Is there anything better? We're thrilled that they join us. SoFi, I mean, EY from SoFi. I don't have to say much more than that. And of course, our friends at Open Exchange, because I don't know about those other meetings, but this meeting absolutely mattered, Dan Nathan. We'll see you next week. Get ready for this. Monday, market call charts. Tuesday, market macro through the lens of futures. And of course, Thursday for Market Street Research. Call Dan, you have your finger up. Go ahead. Monday, we were not going to be doing market call charts oh. in observance of the holiday, Martin Luther I King ap- holiday. I but, apologize. But we're going to bolt it on on Tuesday, Guy Dami. We're going to have a, a fun-filled Tuesday of market calls starting at 11 o'clock. We're going to do macro and we're going to do charts. So stick around, people. Have a great long weekend guy this was fun doing with this and listen by the end of the week i am not sick of you buddy i just you know i feel like we're just kind of have a little bit of a mind meld here so you know it was fun all right bud see you later see ya